the future of animal agriculture may well depend on consumer perception of farm practices and technologies and how that perception shapes market behavior and policy in a post-COVID-19 world. Welcome to Feedstuffs in Focus, our podcast taking a deeper look at big issues in the livestock, poultry, grain, and feed industries. I'm your host, Andy Vance. Thanks for joining us. This episode is sponsored by Hogslat, introducing the 54-inch Infinity Fan. By utilizing advanced motor technology, this fan offers precise variable speed control with lower energy costs and reduced maintenance. Learn more at hogslat.com. In this episode, we hear from two agricultural economists who say it's time for livestock and poultry producers to better connect with consumers on the issues and more actively engage and communicate with consumers as to why they do what they do on the farm. Feedstuffs editor Sarah Muirhead spoke with David Ortega, associate professor in the Department of Agricultural, Food, and Resource Economics at Michigan State University, and Danielle Eufer, a doctoral candidate at Michigan State, about how consumer outreach could help protect animal agriculture when the next crisis occurs. Ortega and Eufer are in the middle of a three-year study looking specifically at consumer preferences and attitudes toward animal agriculture. They believe that the future of the industry depends in large part on what steps farmers are allowed to take moving forward and how consumer attitudes toward those practices and technologies come into play. This, the researchers say, may well be pivotal in herd and market restoration, particularly as the industry works its way out of the current COVID-19 pandemic. With more on the research, here's Sarah Muirhead. Let's talk consumer attitudes. You've been doing some research related to consumer preference and attitudes towards animal agriculture. Danielle, tell us a bit about this work and why it's important to livestock and poultry producers. So our work is part of a three-year project that's um, funded by the USDA's Agricultural Marketing Service Branch, and we're about halfway into it right now. So the project is primarily focused on how consumers view some different practices in animal agriculture, uh, specifically looking at biotechnologies like gene editing and practices that affect animal welfare. The original goal was to really inform decision-making about technology or practice adoption for producers. A lot of our work has included talking directly to consumers about the different practices and animal agriculture industries at large. But now that we're experiencing this shock to the industry with COVID-19 and to society as a whole, we're really having to adapt our approach to be able to inform in real time some of the changes that are occurring in the industry. And luckily, a lot of the lessons that we've been learning are really pertinent to the industry's future responses to COVID-19 shocks that we've experienced. So with the primary focus of our research really being to identify how consumers feel about these novel biotechnologies and production practices that impact animal welfare, we conducted the research and have some interesting findings that were really coming out of it that speak to the importance of communication with consumers. And the findings can be meaningful in really any agricultural industry, but they're especially useful for the animal agriculture industry. We did a couple of surveys in grocery stores, just going out and talking to consumers about what they think about farming and U.S. ag. And we found in a lot of these conversations that there's some substantial misconceptions about what we do in livestock production and why we have many of the practices that we have in place. We also saw a tremendous amount of interest in where food comes from, though, and how it's produced. So we've looked at how farmers can more effectively communicate with consumers from afar using different labeling strategies. But really what's been most interesting and what we really want to talk about today is in our most recent work, how direct contact with farmers and agriculture can really influence consumers and can go a long way in positively influencing a consumer's perceptions of how their food is produced. So you mentioned COVID-19. David, have you been able to take any of these learnings from the, the research project where it is so far along in its, in its process 
and apply it to the COVID-19 situation and what that means for animal agriculture? Well, most definitely. You know, while some of our data was collected before COVID-19 hit the supply chains, uh, the nature of those shocks that we've seen over the last few months really add to the urgency of our findings. Um, and that is that reducing consumer misinformation and increasing their confidence in and understanding of our food production system and supply chain really needs to be a top priority. What are some of the initial findings showing when they're related to how COVID-19 is maybe directly influencing consumer behavior in the food, in their food choices? Well, that's a great question, and there's really a lot happening here. Consumer behavior has drastically changed over these past three months, uh, and this is really affecting where and how consumers get their food, as well as the choices that they make uh, at the grocery store. Uh, so at the start of the crisis, uh, we had the shutdown of the food service industry in conjunction with the various stay-at-home orders that drastically affected where consumers were spending and getting the, their own food. We saw closures at schools, cafeterias, restaurants, and at the same time, we all rushed to the grocery store in order to stock up and prepare to have now all of our meals at home. So we saw non-perishables, pantry food items, you know, we're flying off the shelves at these grocery stores, uh, and people also turned to staples, dairy products, eggs, and also meat. And, and what happened with meat is really interesting, as people were really purchasing the cuts that were relatively easier to cook at home and, and prepare at home, you know, the, the familiar cuts of meat, things like ground beef, roasts, and the like. And due to this increase in demand, we saw temporary stockouts of those products. And these were driven by changes in, in consumer behavior and spending. For quite some time, price has been a real indicator when it comes to consumer choices. Do you see that changing or do you continue to see that as being what consumers will really focus on? Well, so that is still the case. Um, and that's especially the case now where we have a period of financial hardship for many consumers. Uh, we've all seen the sky high unemployment numbers and many of us know relatives or friends who have either been you know, laid off or furloughed. But in addition to price, um, choices are being driven by what is available. Much more recently, we've all become familiar with what is happening in the meat industry, the workers in the meat processing plants, you know, contracting the virus. And this decrease in the supply of meat has led to an uptick in prices and temporary stockouts, which are affecting the menu of alternatives that consumers can, can really purchase at the store. We've also seen an increase, sort of a slight uptick in the interest for alternative meat products. But in relative terms, this is still a small fraction of consumers. And for the most part, we are seeing price as the main driver of preferences. Product availability also comes into play, as well as what I like to think is the convenience factor, also playing a role in, in what's driving consumer preferences. And this convenience factor is especially important for those of us that have kids at home and are trying to work uh, during this time. We're looking for a sort of easy to prepare and convenient foods um, that we can make at home uh, during this time. You mentioned the alternative meat products. Where do you see those going, trending as a result of just overall consumer perceptions or as a result of COVID-19? Current situation, you know, consumers are, when they go to the store, they're facing stockouts and, and sort of temporary unavailability of various products, and they may sort of become interested in these alternative meat products. I do think that, um, you know, there is an uptick in interest, and we're seeing some of that in in some numbers that are coming out of that industry. But in the grand scheme of things, this is you know relatively small 
And while there might be an uptick, um, I think it's, it's temporary and it's going to be really driven by the price differential between these alternative products as well as the price of meat going forward. Um, you know, we're seeing sort of a rise in the price of meats that's going to be very temporary uh, while we adjust and, and sort of work out the bottleneck and the supply chain. But, you know, once that price starts to come down, then I'll predict that we'll start to see a bit of a decrease in, in, the, in the rise of these alternative meat products. Danielle, you uh, mentioned the importance of communication and, and kind of how agriculture really needs to get more personal with consumers. What exactly did you mean by that? What can they do? What can agriculture do? So a lot of that is coming out of our research findings where we had a lot of interesting points arise for how consumers really view agriculture and uh, how, how direct agricultural contact can influence um, their views and how they feel about different technologies or practices in animal agriculture. So in particular, the, the sorts of personal contact that we were really talking about there are either having a real conversation with a farmer, specifically talking about agriculture, or else going and visiting a farm. So for some examples of, of how we were really seeing what this kind of direct contact can mean for consumers and for their view of agriculture, uh, in one of our studies, we found that if a consumer had a conversation with a farmer about agriculture within the last year, they were 38% less likely to support legislation banning a biotechnology in agriculture. So by getting personal, getting out there and actually having real conversations with consumers about agriculture, we may have the ability to preserve some opportunities for farmers in the future, um, not have some excessive red tape for practices that might be really, really beneficial for agriculture. We've also found consumers who had talked to a farmer were better informed about the science relevant to the technologies that were used in ag. And in another one of our studies, over half of consumers that had visited a farm in the last year believed that U.S. agriculture was heading in the right direction, uh, compared to only 33% who hadn't visited a farm. So again, getting consumers directly involved in agriculture, bringing them onto a farm with things like agritourism, um, talking to them and really introducing them to our practices and explaining how and why we do the things that we do can have a dramatic positive effect on how consumers feel about ag and the practices in our food production system. Overall, would you say consumers are more or less trusting of today's food production system? As a, as a classic economist, um, I'm going to say that the answer really depends. It depends on which consumers we're, we're talking about and where we're looking. So I'd say that in particular, the COVID-19 situation is really exposing where consumer trust lies. And we likely have some consumers that aren't realizing the full extent of the food production and distribution uh, system. So as David was saying earlier, a lot of where food is going usually is into restaurants, bars, schools, or other businesses. And so where we've got empty grocery stores creating this panic of, are we really producing enough food? We do have more than enough food that we've been producing. It's just been going into these distribution systems in a different way than what we're seeing right now. So in that sense, there's probably less trust that's being created for or exposed for consumers because they're not able to see the food system adjusting to losing all of those outlets instantly. And so without a solid understanding of the food system, consumers may not understand why their grocery shelves were empty in a country where we produce plenty of food. But on the other hand, there's definitely an opportunity for ag to show how resilient and flexible it can be. And so even though we did see those empty shelves, a lot of consumers learned that an empty shelf today doesn't necessarily mean an empty shelf tomorrow. So the food system was continuing to function. And, you know, where we saw, for example, that these meat plant closures were happening, the industry also was able to react very quickly and capacity is already beginning to bounce back. It may take some time to get back to pre-pandemic levels, but the, the industry is responding and we're getting um, back to a place of stability. So in that sense, some consumers may be able to have a greater amount of trust in the security 
and the resilience of the food system. So David, what about farmers specifically? Are consumers still trusting of farmers despite, I mean, they've been seeing images of them dumping milk. Maybe they don't understand why. Um, they've had the this other supply chain interruptions as a result of COVID-19. Have farmers gone up the scale, down the scale? Have it Has it changed in terms of that um, that trust factor? Generally speaking, consumers, you know, know little about where their food comes from, let alone how it got to their plate. Um, and I think that this crisis has really exposed many consumers to the complex, you know, that is our food system. And unfortunately, not all of the coverage has been positive or, or very easy to digest. So, for example, as you alluded to, you know, many consumers are very perplexed as to why producers are dumping milk when they couldn't find any at their store a few weeks ago or why you know, there's coverage of some hog producers having to depopulate their herds um, when the meat counter uh, may be empty or um, you know, when they go to the grocery store or prices are rising. Um, but really, it's, it's too early to tell what the impact of all of this will be on consumers as, situation, as the situation is still evolving. But we believe it presents the industry with an opportunity to really take control of the narrative and inform consumers of what is happening and most importantly, why it's happening, right? In the medium to long run, I believe that this messaging um, and information um, will have a, a positive effect in terms of how consumers engage with agriculture and how they view and come to appreciate those that are responsible for growing uh, our food. Well, your, your research, the timing is really interesting because you can kind of see both sides of it, right? I mean, you started it before COVID-19 and now we have COVID-19. So you'll be able to almost do a comparison of pre and, and after. So, um, you know, whether that's part of your plans or not, it could be very interesting to, to see any changes that would have taken place as a result. Absolutely. You know, none of us predicted, you know, COVID-19 ever hitting, um, but it really presents a good opportunity, you know, and in our research, and the timing, as you mentioned, really we're, we're going to sort of take advantage of that and look at how these preferences are changing and how we can, as an industry, really inform um, consumer views and opinions sort of going forward. Danielle, what would be your number one takeaway lesson from your research to date that you feel would be important for animal agriculture to hear? So for me, the main takeaway, just starting from this foundation that consumers really, especially with the COVID-19 situation, are thinking a lot more about where and how their food gets to their plate or to the store. And for the majority of the population, they don't really know and in some cases have some misconceptions of what happens in the food supply chain before it gets to the store or to their homes. Um, and in a way, the COVID-19 situation has actually been a positive in that there's been a lot of expo exposure to the supply chain, um, different labor issues in ag. This provides a good opportunity for us to actually educate consumers and provide information that really objectively defines what agriculture is. So the number one takeaway really for me from our research is that a, um, a great way to seize on this opportunity on public receptivity to learning how the food system really is set up is to get consumers directly connected to agriculture um, through conversations with, with farmers and through visits to farms. Our research today is really showing that this is an effective way to help consumers understand and subsequently support how agriculture works in the U.S. And that's something that we really sorely need. David, do you have anything to add to that? Well, you know, as we're looking at how to really make our research relevant to industry in this crisis, another point that I think it's worth um, recognizing is that most people have really taken for granted how well-functioning our food industry and food supply chain really is. Um, you know, many of us have the luxury of taking a shopping list to the store and being able to substitute one cut of meat for another. 
Um, and that simply isn't possible for many others across the world. You know, uh, I worked um, internationally and in, in, in various countries. And what we have here is something unique that I think we've sort of taken for granted. And, and that's sort of really come out during this crisis. And what's really important to keep in mind and communicate to the public is that the ag and food sector have shown great resiliency throughout this crisis. We continue to have one of the most abundant and affordable food supplies in the world. And let me just give you an example, somewhat recent statistic that, that made the news. The Bureau of Labor Statistics, right, they released their April uh, food price report a couple of weeks ago. And it showed a record monthly increase in the price of food for home consumption in almost 50 years, right? So going back to the 1970s. I mean, there was a lot of press coverage about this. I even spoke to a handful of media reporters. But what really jumped out to me, and I think others that are engaged in, in food and in the ag industry, is that really the more remarkable news here was that this record-breaking increase was just a couple of percentage points. We had sort of the largest shock to not just consumer food shopping behavior or the ag industry, but really every aspect of society, right, in our recent history. And it resulted initially in just a couple of percentage point increases to food prices. That's really telling of sort of the resiliency of the sector. And, you know, we're likely to see more record-breaking price increases when the main numbers come out, particularly when it comes to the meat sector and, and the uh, effects of these plant kosher's. Uh, but it's really important to realize that these are just temporary and that the ag and food sector has really been resilient to all of this. And I think we really need to tell that story to the consumers. Great point. Any closing thoughts, Danielle? I really just want to drive home the point that consumers, they do want to know where their food comes from. They want to know how it's produced and they want to have confidence in their food system and the stability of the food supply chain, especially when something like COVID-19 arises, when we have a crisis like this. So we as producers and other participants in agriculture really need to capitalize on the opportunity to be our own advocates um, or representatives and make sure that consumers are getting accurate information straight from the source. David, any final comments? Well, just to sort of wrap up, you know, there's opportunities right now for the industry to have these conversations of how to address the issues and challenges, challenges that we're facing as a result of a shock like this. But we also need to acknowledge, right, the resiliency and the stability of our food system. You know, going back to what I said earlier, uh, we have one of the most abundant and affordable uh, and stable food production systems in the world. And the industry really needs to take the opportunity to recognize this and communicate it to the general public. You know, I think that'll make it a much more productive conversation and dialogue as we address some of the vulnerable areas that, that, that really have emerged as a result of this crisis. But as a whole, we really need to sort of take stock of, you know, what we have that is one of the most abundant and affordable production systems anywhere in the world. Great points. This has been a very interesting discussion. I want to thank you, Danielle and David, for joining us and for sharing your time and your insight. For those of you that are interested, there is a link in this podcast description to an article that um, Danielle and David have written for Feedstuffs on this topic. I encourage you to check that out. For Feedstuffs, I'm Sarah Muirhead. And thanks, Feedstuffs publisher Sarah Muirhead and Michigan State University ag economist Dr. Ortega and Danielle Eufer. You can read coverage of the latest research on consumer trends in the pages of Feedstuffs. And as Sarah mentioned, articles like the one about Dr. Ortega and Danielle Eufer's research in the Feedstuffs daily e-newsletter. You can scribe, subscribe at our website, feedstuffs.com. Thanks also to our sponsor, Honkslat, for today's episode. Check out Honkslat's new 54-inch Infinity Fan. By utilizing advanced motor technology, this fan offers precise variable speed control with lower energy costs and reduced maintenance. Learn more at honkslat.com.
I'm Andy Vance, and you've been listening to Feedstuffs in Focus. If you want to hear more conversations about some of the big issues affecting the livestock, poultry, grain, and feed industries, subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platforms, including Apple and Google Podcasts, or check out our website, feedstuffs.com, for future episodes. Until next time, have a great day, and thanks for listening.